Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. I'm Amy from the Mortgage Collaborative and I'm here with Julian Sato. And today we are going to talk about virtual coaching and leadership. Um, This is actually, this is something that Julian is an expert in and has put out some publications to that fact. Um, This is the second of three webinars that we're going to have with him. If you were with us two weeks ago, um, him and I had a great conversation about working from home and remote. And we kind of just go back and forth um, with me having, he has a sales background amongst other things. And myself, um, I have a sales and operational background. We've both been in the mortgage industry for quite a long time. Um, And I've also done other things um, outside of that. But so with that said, Julian, I'm going to pass it over to you if you want to give a quick introduction for those who have not been on a call with you in the past, and then talk a little bit about the whole virtual coaching and leadership uh, within the mortgage industry. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, for those who don't know me, I, I, I'm assuming most of you know who I am because I've you've gotten on the call. I've probably bugged you to get here or <laughs> saw the information and you said, hey, I know that guy. So hopefully you know me, but being an NLP practitioner, now I, I'm going to iterate how important it is that you just take a minute to think about what that means. NLP practitioner, being able to understand the words we use and how they affect us and how they affect the people we communicate with and how they put visuals in our heads and how that visual becomes our truth. And that truth becomes our our prism, if you will. We react, we respond, we behave based off of what we believe to be true. Think about that in our industry. I mean, that is a huge thing. And it's a huge miss in our business when it comes to developing ourselves, when it comes to developing our, our employees, and more importantly, when we communicate to our customers. Now, coaching in our industry, I personally believe is a lot, basically in the mortgage world has lost its way in a lot of ways. Call centers, if you work in a call center, like a big mortgage company, uh, retail, or if, you know, you're taking in inbound calls, a lot of leaders are considered coaches or they do coaching. And they usually do side-by-side listening to calls or talk about their certain things. So there is some coaching still in the industry, but I'm being an NLP practitioner and then tying in my background in behavioral science, which that's my passion as well, because I love the fact that why we see things the way we see them is because of how we grew up. And the closest thing to our vest, which is our threats and our joys come from our childhood. So everything we see comes from a paradigm of our childlike personas. So putting those two together, tying it into a mortgage industry that I believe is really focused on you know, reaction and action. Um, it's something that is, I can talk for hours. I only have like three hours, right, Amy? So, but I mean, you want to have so much time, <laughs> but it's definitely something to get, talk about. And I say this every time, if anybody here is in a mortgage industry, I'm telling you, if one company was to literally take serious the things I'm going to talk about today and literally apply just say 20% of it, you will see a major shift in a morale, but also in your brand, in your for everything. It takes longer than a, than a pill. It takes longer than like a sales pitch, but it, if you're consistent, you will see a shift. And that's what I want to get to. Thanks, Julian. <clears throat> um, one of the things that has been coming up, well, I mean, it's, I shouldn't say it's coming up, but what everybody's going through right now is just these massive inflative, inflated pipelines. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I think you know, leadership and coaching, I mean, maybe not as much coaching, but just leadership in general. 
um, has really had to change and pivot to accommodate people who are probably over, you know, overworked, um, understaffed, massive inflative pipelines. Um, and so to, from a leadership perspective, I mean, how, how do you suggest that they make important changes to ensure that they keep their workforce, to ensure that their employees are not, you know, going crazy and, and losing their minds and want to jump ship and, and staying sane, essentially? Well, it goes back to human nature. And again, I'm a I'd step out of our business to focus on human nature because human nature is consistent no matter what industry. So if you look at, uh, and you might've heard this before, but it's a true statement. If you look at a fireman, a fireman is trained to walk into a burning building because they've been trained to do so. They do something that is naturally instinctive to run away. They don't do that. They walk into the fire, right? You know, you look at police, they walk into danger. You look at nurses and, and doctors and the things that they go through, the stress, is part of their world and they accept that. In our industry, what we've done is we've tried to coerce people to come over because it's going to be easier when actually it isn't. So put it in perspective of like saying, join the fire department, but you'll never see a fire. And that's how we've packaged our business. And so when people see the fire, they're almost insulted by the fact that there's fire, even though they've been hired on to be a fireman, right? Or a firewoman. So we have to understand it's not so much stress we're trying to change. It's the concept of stress and how we handle the stress because we live by the market. We don't live by our own behaviors. We live by the market's behavior. Hence, refis are out of the roof. And to your point, I know people in some of these big companies, 80 files in their pipeline. You know, they're working 5.30 in the morning to 9, 10 at night not having a break and we're okay with that. And, and they're not. And so what's happening is them not being okay with it is going to bleed out into how they deal with their, their peers, their boss, their customers, and the loan officers, if they have them that they're dealing with. And it does make an impact on retention. So it's really how to train people in stress, not so much trying to alleviate stress. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's come up a lot, especially um, recently, and and we're in talks with a lot of people just trying to get more of that out to our membership um, and support of our our leaders as well as their their workforce as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that with people working from home and not, not, I mean, obviously it's the virtual climate, but also, you know, we mentioned that there are is ton of incentive right now for people to jump ship and to go other places, um, and the the psychology of that that's happening within that workforce. Um, there's a, there has been a shift a bit, right? Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Right. I mean, you hit. We talked about this a while back. Um, you know, people aren't motivated by money; they react to money. There's a big difference. Money will make me react. Oh yeah, I'll do that for more money. But when you actually take the taxes out and you see that you're still just as drained, just as stressed, just as, uh, you know, I would say away from home just as much or more, you realize that the money is really just providing you the resource to keep doing the exact same thing. So it doesn't, mot- it doesn't motivate you. What happens is you become demotivated and you become, uh, you become less, I would say, motivated and, and almost like, uh, I hate to use this word in, on a webinar, you become angry. Because you, you feel like there's something more. There has to be something more. But we're conditioned to think there's money. And when we're afraid and when we're stressed. And COVID, just so you know, we haven't even touched on COVID, what it's done to our culture when it comes to the normalcy. And that's a big, when it comes to behavioral science, I will tell you, you look at history, look at uh, 
the history of our, our nation, when we've experienced things like this, what it does to the psyche of people. And what happens is because I'm afraid, I will do the first thing that makes me feel like I have some control. Having more money makes me feel like I have some more control because we've adapted to having money means security, means safety, means I'm better off than somebody else. So money is the first thing we lean towards, but we find out it's not the thing that makes us feel content. And a lot of people are starting to lean towards that. I know there's some people, I, I recognize some names on here. We have one person who is a, uh, an executive coach for millennials. And I would tell you, a lot of people are leaning towards being, having peace, having balance over money. And so if we keep using money as a way to get people to, to come over, what's going to happen is that money is going to dry up. Just like you buy a new car, it's going to last for a minute. And then you just got dust in your car and it's just an old car again. So we need to really start looking at synergy, looking at personalities, looking at, you know, our mission. Are we really valuing the fact that we want us and our peers to walk into a fire together and come out together and feel good about what we just accomplished? That's the key you want to start driving, not the money. And right now we're stressing. So I know a lot of companies dropping big dollars for underwriters and processors. And but the thing is, once this market shifts a little bit, you're going to see them go, well, what are we doing with all these people now? We, we are not a a company that has life insurance, uh, credit card, we can't deploy them in other areas. What are they going to do? We don't have 80 files anymore in our pipeline. We might have a lot less. So we don't need these people sitting around doing nothing, which is just going to do the same thing. It's going to give you a bad brand. So we need to be really smart about it and not just reactionary. Agreed. And I think, you know, we talked a lot about too, the people's breaking point, you know, and you know, when we have you and I have these conversations, obviously, I always go back to when I was a processor, when I was an operations manager, and the difficulties that my team had, or that I had with my own pipeline, when it became overwhelming, and when, you know, there were deadlines, and there was just, we talked about that one file that sort of, you know, is your breaking point, and it's just the one that doesn't go away, or the one that is submitted from the loan officer who typically submits the, mo- the more difficult files or tries to put round pegs in square holes. And so that from a processing perspective and even an underwriting perspective can be extremely frustrating. Um, and so leadership really needs to um, help and, and step in in those situations to try and alleviate that peg, you know, or that, that um, bottleneck so that the other loans can continue to flow and the processor can move on. And so what are some of your suggestions? I mean, you and I threw back a bunch of stuff, but I'll let, I'll, I'll switch it well, back to you. I know what I did as an ops manager. But I know here's the thing. And this is where it gets, this is where the coaching comes in, you guys. So here's a challenge we're faced with. Top producers are hardly ever ridiculed about what they do, right? So top producers are the money makers. So they kind of have this understanding that I can do what I want. And they're the ones that are listened to. And that's not, that's not a slap. That's just reality. If they're bringing in the most money, they're going to, have a lot of respect because they have a lot of clients or they, they have a good marketing plan. The challenge you're talking about is the ones that are trying to keep up or catch up to that top producer. So what they do is they don't know how to say no to a file. The challenge with that is that you end up hurting the business so much because you, like, you know, Amy, I've seen processors spend their entire day dealing with one file because that problem file is taken taken so much away from their ability to focus on the good files and then they're and they are coached they're like why have all this in red your pipeline is is struggling that's because of this one lo who keeps throwing me this junk if you will so when it comes to coaching it goes back to you know it's not so much saying i'll talk to them it's literally talking to them right there it's like let's call them right now 
let's put them on the spot in a nice way, not disrespectfully. Don't get me wrong. Being an NLP, you don't want to say, hey, stupid. Why do you keep throwing this crap over here? But you want to literally say, look, we have this file. You see the guy is a, at a 500 credit score and you're saying we're going to make it work. And you see that, you know, he told you he was going to buy a car for his daughter two weeks after he applied for a loan. I see this in the notes. Why would you send this over? I just want to get your clarity. And then work out a program with that manager. It has to be a collective group. Remember, you're in a, you're in a spaceship. You're, you're like a starship. If your starship has a hole in it, it affects everyone on the ship. It's not individual. And our industry is very good at is segregating departments. Underwriting has its own metrics. We have LOs have their metrics. Processors have, or LOAs have theirs. And they have closing has theirs. No one really wants to communicate. It's like I told you earlier. It's like Lucille Ball and the assembly line with the chocolate factories. Like they never talk. They just stressed in their own world trying to pick up the right chocolate. Mm-hmm. But we need to understand that it's a collective group. If you see a bottleneck, you need to have somebody in the business that is constantly stepping away from your metric and looking at the overall health of the business. That's what a holistic doctor does. That's what, you know, you can get a lung, doc, a lung doctor, you can get a brain surgeon, but you need someone who looks holistically at the full picture and says, okay, I see a bottleneck here. I see you just hired 15 underwriters, but you've hired no closers. Do you see where this is going to cause a problem, right? We need to make sure that we think this way before we start just dropping people in thinking we've accomplished something. And to your point, I hate to say it, but if we're only focusing on getting loans, then we're really hurting, especially in the future, we're hurting our business because people are not, like I said, they're looking for peace and they're looking for satisfaction. They want to feel valued. They're not looking for the money as they used to. And so we have to make sure that we don't give them a place where we're, edging them to jump off ship. You know, we want them to stay on. So I would say it's very our responsibility to say, wait a minute, I see the same loan officer bringing in a lot of files that aren't funding, that aren't closing. Let me pull that person in with the manager and let's work out a plan that's going to make sure this doesn't happen continuously, right? And get your process to see that action and they'll feel like you're trusting and valuing their their feelings. Yeah, I think that, I think that's absolutely um, the case. And I, and I know that from the same, you know, looking from the sales side that loan officers are getting the pressure from the realtors and they're getting pressure from the customers. And, and that's a really tough position to be in as well, because you want to protect your business, your own personal business, the integrity of your company, and you want to deliver on the things that you say, but it's a very fine line between, you know, being a yes man and then being able to deliver. And I think that's really important to have a strong, to have strong leadership to, to coach these particular LOs in the way of it's okay to say no, it's okay to, to line that person up, you know, for the deal six months down the line, if they don't quite get it yet. But the struggle with that, as you know, you know, from, from being an LO is that that same customer, if they don't like what you say, is going to find the next yes man down the street. And unfortunately, yeah. that's that's going to happen. But um, I think that it's beneficial or it's good to feel that you can say no. And you're not going to be the one that gets egg on their face when you can't deliver on well, what you've promised. It's the, it's the guy down the street. And, and eventually, that customer would probably just come back to you in the long run because you were honest with them. And, and, you, and you kept your integrity, you know, along you know, the way. There's a, there's a TV show that I watched with my wife called Million Dollar Listing. 
It's a real estate show in California. Well, I'm from California. Beach house so, is the one yeah. I've been watching about the Hamptons because I'm. Yeah. Like, so I love that show because it shows all the homes in California. I'm from California. I'm from the area they're always selling in. So I love mm-hmm. looking at it and stuff because, you know, they use high depth. It's desk. fun and I dream. Yeah. So here's the thing. <laughs> one of the top realtors there, he literally will say, look, I can only sell it for this. And the person says, well, I was told to accept. I, I would not do that. And he's willing to walk away. Yeah. And you know what happens? Nine, nine out of 10 times they come back because right. and that our industry is not like that, unfortunately, because we, and I'll, now I'm doing sales. I work with PRMG, you know, doing sales for them. And I said no to a couple of files because of what you just said. But here's the thing. And we have to understand a lot of times the LOs don't know what it is. They, they, you know, they they don't know what the scenario is going to be or what trash is. A lot of people say, yeah, I have a 700 credit score and you don't, you know, they pull the credit and it's, you know, 600 and they have no debt. But then all of a sudden you see they have like, you know, child support coming in for paying somewhere down the line and mm-hmm. all these weird things. Right. So sometimes it's not their fault, but a oh, lot yeah. of times it is right. So it, you need to make sure that, and here's what I learned. And I, I was, when I was a director for a wholesale company before the crash, I was a, uh, I had to hire all these new salespeople and I noticed they were throwing a lot of stuff over the, over the fence. And I found that because we keep pushing, you got to get deals in. It's, it's almost innate to just throw everything over the fence. So I ended up giving them the ability to learn underwriting. They hated it. I hated it. I mean, not that I have anything against underwriting, but it just wasn't my nature at the time. And it was like hard for me to do, but I had to first live it because I taught, I told them they had to do it. Learning underwriting gave a certain respect to what had to be approved. At the same time, making them sit with underwriters to go through a file at least once a week or at least every month, minimally, to sit with a processor, LO, and a, uh, an LO processor, and underwriter, and review a file and go, this is what I look at. This is what I have to deal with. This is what I have to look for when I talk to the customer and get a synergistic understanding. And that gives empathy. And so by default, you start thinking twice about what you're throwing. And that's a not a coaching, that's just a behavior that needs to be taking place. Instead of just separating it all, bring it all together. And you can do that once a month as a virtual group, like you break three people off and review a file together. That's something that should be done as a virtual coaching together and say, what are the pain points in a file like this for your department or for you? And that right. will give some clarity on that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice as a loan officer by not trying to, I mean, you know, and, and you obviously cannot know every single scenario and, and underwriting, but every, every organization I've ever worked at has, has, you know, a, a way to go into the guidelines and check and, and look into things before you submit, if you're unsure, yeah. uh, whether it be a scenario desk or just going into all regs or, you know. But let me interrupt you something. Here's, really, here's what's interesting about that because underwriters by nature are left brain. They're very technical. They're very data. Like they're bullet points. Give me bullet points. Salespeople, and processors by nature are more communicative. Supposedly processors should be trained more salespeople than anything because they're dealing with your customer more so than the loan officer. If you put this in perspective, we miss that in so many areas. We think just do the data, but if they were sales driven, if they knew how to think like a salesperson, communicate, use influx of the voice, know how to talk small talk before we get to business, all those things that salespeople should have, you would see that half the problem is in the way we communicate it. So a processor or a loan officer says, hey, I have this great customer. He has a dog. His name is Sam. He has two kids, his wife, beautiful family. They've been married for 20 years. They saw this house. And I, I want you to get it approved, right? Underwriters thinking, what do you want? Why are you giving me the story? I don't give a hoot about 
Mm-hmm. What do you want? And so because you're already agitating them just with a story, by default, they want to say no anyway to anything you're going to ask. So understanding communication is just as important as understanding how to do files. So there's no one side to anything, but you have to be able to adapt to your audience. And so going back to, I think somebody named David said um, that he learned to say no two times this year uh, and he doesn't regret it because learning how to adapt to personalities is also learning how to say no to files just because you salivate and you want it doesn't mean it's going to be the best thing for you. It's like, you know, you might want that, you know, 15 pound burger because it looks really good. But if you eat that, it's going to make you really sick. And that's what you got to look at it like, you know, and that's to me, that's how I, I've never eaten a 15 pound burger. I just want to clarify. It just was the number I brought up. But just, <laughs> I don't know why I said 15 pound. <laughs> so I think it was 1.5 pounds. So Is that a challenge? No. No, I think that's, uh, so a couple of things were popping up in my head when you were talking, but it is, it is the age old issue and be, the struggle between sales and ops. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. Cause I, when you talk, I was thinking so many times when the loan offer was, you know, we, we joke around about like the, the moving truck is in, you know, is in the driveway and, and they're closing tomorrow. And you're like, they're not even cleared to close. Like why, why is the moving truck there? You know? Right. And so you hear like the humanized side of things, but as the processor, you're like, you don't, you don't want to say, I don't care. But at the same time, you're like, why did you tell them it was clear to close? Why are we at this point? Mm-hmm. And you sort, you do forget that there is a family at the end of this and that there, there are people at the end, but somewhere along the lines of communication has gone awry. Yeah. Um, and- well, they, they know that we respond. Escalations usually get done faster. And so that's another psychological. Oh, absolutely. Mind yeah, it's we've done to ourselves. That's completely also another you know, straw that breaks the camel's back from a, right. from a processing and operational standpoint, because you're, you're working your butt off to get that approved, but mm-hmm. now it's additional pressure and you're, now you're pulling at the heartstrings and you're, it's something that's not tangible right. that the processor can do anything with, you know? So let me say this out to anybody who's listening to this. This is what, I, this is a true story. This person is not on the call, I don't think, unless they used a different name, but true story. Less than about, maybe about two months ago, Somebody I know who is an executive in a mortgage company, their top producer went to another company, literally just quit and went to one of their competitors. And honest to goodness, the entire office, this was actually over two months ago because it was before COVID. So it was before two months ago, but the entire office was celebrating this person left. Now think about the impact of that. Your top producer brought in the most money in the company. One of the pillars of your office went to your competitor and all of your employees that dealt with that person celebrated because all that person did was come at people, yell at people because they were a top producer. That to me is bad management. And I say this because what happens is you give people too much leeway and they will continue and take the whole yard. And what happens is we're afraid to say something. So nipping things in the bud, and I wanted to bring this up. I'm glad I said, Amy, you brought it up because now that we're bringing new people on, the best thing to do is to create a, is a precedence right in the beginning, you know, especially with underwriters who come in from different backgrounds with a different philosophy and you have your over overlays, understand that you, you need to nip it in the butt, grab a mentor or somebody who says, nope, we don't do it this way. This is how we do it. And be willing to let them go if they refuse to adapt and I hate to be that rude, but you've got to understand what you're going to cause is confusion and lack of trust. And when people don't trust you, they will leave you. And that's one of the biggest, and I talked about it in the last class, one of the, Three pillars of human nature is trust. So when I lose trust in you, 
I have really the other two things that I'm looking for control and purpose literally are barely hanging on. So you want to make sure you let people know that you got their back. And that's why I said, call the LO right there with the processor in the call with you say, let's talk about this file. I want to make sure this doesn't happen again. Those are powerful ways to make sure that, you know, the processor knows you got their back. So I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and Dave says, wow, you say how I feel. It's the truth. Alexandra's also commented, can you share why in our industry customers complain to the processors when it's the LOs who told them to apply because they can't get approved? And when they don't, they get mad at us, the processors. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like, you know, we, and I wish I could say this to every mortgage company, but it's goes back to the problem with mortgage companies that everything's segregated. So everything's not my problem. Only my department is my problem. So if a file needs to get funded or closed, I'm going to focus on the file. I'm not focusing on the behaviors that cause the problem. I'm just focusing on closing the file. So what Alexandra is talking about is why processors need to learn sales. They need to learn personality styles and communication skills. They need to know more about psychology than anybody. I think leaders and processors are people that deal with the customer on a continual basis. If they were to learn these things, they would see that that stress, that arguing, that yelling, or that customer is not mad at you they're frustrated at the circumstance, right? And you will be able to look at it from a different perspective. And that's part of your job. It's like learning that the firefighter is job is to go into the fire. We need to make sure we train our processors to know that you're going to get those sometimes. And this is how you're best prepared to handle it. You know, you know, me being a kickboxer and a fighter, one of the biggest fears I had was the subconscious right before the fight. But then when I got in the fight, I realized it wasn't as bad as my imagination thought. So you want to not try to avoid it. You want to get into it, but then, recognize the rewards you got from it. Did you calm them down? Did you get them to trust you? Did you get them to hear you? Did you get things closed? Did you get it settled? Did you make them feel better at the end of this because they did talk to you? And there's ways of doing that that helps you feel better because that's part of our business. It comes with the business. I can't change that. But how you handle it, and I would say a lot of, I'm not saying all, but I've seen a lot of processors or loan officers or loan assistants handle this completely wrong. You know, look at it from an attack on them. And it really isn't. It's, it's all these things, buying the most important thing in a person's life at this moment, right? So it's one of those things we have to look at, but it happens. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of organizations have it structured differently. So I, you know, I've, I've worked where the, the loan officer takes the loan in, passes it off, and then the processor has all of the communication after that with the customer. And then the loan officer is just out getting more business. I've also been in situations where the processor has essentially zero contact with the customer and anything that they need goes right back to the loan assistant or the loan officer. And so they, they play that intermediate between um, the customer and, and the operational staff, the, you know, the underwriting and, and processing. And right. <clears throat> I don't know that I can say which one is better. I mean, from a processing perspective, I, I liked to have control because quite frankly, I could get more done and I can get it done faster if I went directly to my customer. Um, but to Alexandra's point, then you're also taking the brunt of maybe promises that, you know, you have, it's a fine line. You can't, if they say, well, so-and-so told me that I was going to get X, Y, and Z, you really have to be able to, like you said, have those conversations, but have them, um, respectfully so that you're respecting, you don't know what was promised to them and you just kind of have to defer to, well, let me speak to um, so-and-so and, and we'll get back to you on that without saying, so here's, a, here's a great thing. Throwing anybody right? under the bus. Too. Yeah. I did this with a client 
and this is a mortgage company, so it makes sense. So I had a, a client, this was before COVID. I was in their office and this is a true story. Really funny because I, the first response, the guy was like, we got to nip this in the bud. I'm like, no, let's do something completely different. So what happened was the underwriter and the, and the processor in the same office. And so the processor was asking questions to the underwriter. Underwriter got really frustrated and you, you know, body language, right? You rolling in the eyes, huffing and puffing. You can tell he was like, why are you bothering me? I am the underwriter. Leave don't me question the- me. Yeah. Don't question me. And I could tell the processor was just literally trying to, they were trying to get clarity because it made literally local to them, you know? And so, mm-hmm. and I could see both perspectives. And I think Ashley is even talking about having different perspectives. So when I said, let's call the underwriter in and call the underwriter in at that moment, because the underwriter was fuming. So what I wanted to do is get them off the floor because you let people talk how they feel. It drops their stress level down by 22%. So you want to do that. You want people to share how they feel. And then literally I said, you know, first of all, you set an amazing precedent to show people that it's okay to ask underwriter questions. I love the fact that the person came over to your desk and you guys were conversing about it. I didn't say anything about the attitude, didn't say anything about the huffing and puffing. I didn't give my perception to him and give him ammunition. And what I did was just focus on the act of conversing. And what that did, it changed his mood because now I literally reverted using NLP. I changed the way he was thinking by giving, giving him a visual of him being an example to the floor of conversing with a processor. Do you realize now that processor knows more about underwriting than they had before they talked to you? Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to have less questions going forward. So thank you for that. He walked away happy. And the manager's like, I've never done that before. If anything, I had to tell him how you got to stop doing things. I'm saying, when you tell people what to stop doing, it literally makes them do exactly what you tell them to stop doing. Whatever you tell people to think about, that's what they lean into. So the goal is to coach based off what you want to see, not what you think you see. And that's the key. That underwriter started talking to everybody after that. Literally, hey, let me tell you. Right. Come over here. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's important to show what you're doing right instead of what you're I mean, it's like children, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. tell them. You, you we haven't changed. Them, right. You build them up to the things they're doing right. And, and yeah, you're going to say no. And, and that wasn't the best way to go about things. But. Certainly. Yeah, we have not changed. It's a great point. Remember that we have not changed from childhood. Just from the schoolyard, you're sitting and you see a grump, a bunch of kids playing. You want to be a part of that group. If you mm-hmm. ever feel you're not, the first thing you do is get sad and walk away. You right. separate yourself. So getting people to feel a part of a team is not about giving uh, stress balls away. It, that is not making people feel like a team. Giving people gift cards is not making people feel like a team. It's that interaction that is personable and makes people feel connected. It is completely oxymoron to just keep giving giving money or cards away, thinking that's making people feel good. And supported. David's got a question here too, but I would I would definitely say, you know, the support, like we said before, with leadership, showing the the processors and the closers and the underwriters <clears throat> when they're overwhelmed that, yeah. you know, stepping in and taking that one file that's that's causing a crux in the process and taking that off their plate and saying, Okay, I'm gonna speak to the yellow, I'm gonna speak to the customer even, or I'm gonna talk to whoever I need to talk to to either put an end to this or to, to figure out how we're going to make it work, but get it off the processor's plate, get it off the underwriter's plate and, and give it to somebody else. Let, yeah. let the manager underwriting manager, take it over. Let, you know, the, the, the loan, um, the loan officer sales manager. 
I told a story once in seminars and I use it all the time. It reminds me every day uh, when I was working, I wanted to be a firefighter at one point and I worked as an EMT because <laughs> yeah, I used firefighter earlier. So I went and took the went to EMT school. By the way, EMT school is really hard. <laughs> it's just not easy. Um, but I, one of the things was you had to work in an emergency ward overnight, 24 hours at the worst uh, emergency ward you can find in your city. And I did that. And it was eye-opening from so many people came in in one doorway that tried to commit suicide from car accidents to domestic violence to all the things you, you I saw. But one thing was I, I paid attention to is why I bring up the firefighter concept is the nurses and the doc, they were on point. They were just, I mean, they did not flinch. And I remember asking one of the nurses and I remember I asked her, her name was Mary, but my mother's name, Mary, I'll never forget her. She was outside taking a break, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> go figure. But I asked her, I said, how do you do this every day? And she looked at me because I was amazed at how much energy and time and drain it was just for me being there. And uh, she looked at me, she goes, I work in a hospital. I don't expect healthy people to show up, you know? And, and I thought that was one of the most powerful statements because Excellent. when you prepare yourself that you and anybody who's in the mortgage industry on this call, what we just talked about is the mortgage industry. There is no fixing of the drama that takes place. It's part of the business. So when you get mad or you feel like this, you don't deserve it, what you're saying is, I'm a nurse, but I'm not going to help this person in their livelihood right now. You know, it's like somebody coming to the hospital saying, I can't breathe. You're like, I'm tired. I can't deal with this. Right. So that's not your role. Our role is to step in that fire and realize that we're trained for this. And if you see a better yeah. way of doing it, then you need to bring it up to your boss and understand that we need to work on fixing this and I have some ideas. Um, and I think we, we lost that. That's another thing we lost. We're not taking ownership of the people on the floor with better ideas. Use them. They know what will work best. You know, if they don't know, then teach them more so they can have a better clarity. They have a better idea. But don't just ostracize them and have the leadership come up with the ideas because we're old. I mean, our world has changed. I think David just asked this question. Do you see a difference with COVID now? Does this time has changed and learn new processes? Do you feel you can trust someone on Zoom versus meeting? Well, it's changed, David. Everything's changed. Uh, you can trust people on Zoom, but it goes back to learning the nuances, the triggers, the words, the hypnotic words that work, the things that make people lean into you versus lean away from you. So using the word you a lot, using the word, can you imagine, you know, if you ask any of your employees, hey, can you imagine you doing what you want to do for the rest of your life? I mean, what is it that you want to do? I know you didn't graduate high school saying I want to be a processor. What is it you wanted to do when you were growing up? I mean, did it, was it a processor? <laughs> you know, get them to tell you I wanted to be a veterinarian. But what else? I mean, you want to be, what are you doing to go there? I mean, I can't do anything now. Why not? Let's look that up and figure out what we can do to get you started. If that's what you want to do. If you spent your whole coaching session doing that, that's coaching. You know what? You have an ally. That person will work harder for you the next day than anybody else because they feel like you're listening to what they desire, not your own. And closing loans is not anyone's desire. Serving people should be the desire. Helping people get to a home should be the desire. So I preach a lot. As you can tell, I had coffee today, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I hope I answered your question, David. But yeah, there's definitely some ways of doing that with Zoom but it goes back to having non-essential meetings more than essential meetings. And we haven't had essential meetings really ever. So it's usually about data. You can find it online by yourself. You can look it up, but we tend to look at the dashboard or look at the pipeline and go, so what's going on? You can see what's going on. Numbers don't lie. You see things are delayed. You can hear the story, but if you're not going to do anything about the story, then don't ask because once you ask and you don't do anything, you lose trust. 
Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> That's actually a good segue into what I wanted to mention. Also, we've got uh, about eight minutes left here, but um, so we talked about the sort of some of the negatives of the process and inflated pipelines and things that are age old um, issues in the mortgage industry. And to your point, stuff that's probably never really going to go away. It's sort of like who can manage it best, right? Who can keep that team cohesiveness and have the LOs work well with the processors and the processors work well with the, the underwriters and everybody owning the file all the way till the end. Um, but I think just saying thank you, you know, just recognizing to what, like what I said before, recognizing um, the the good work done. So when you get, you know, when the, the intake person gets a file from the LO that has all of the information that they need to get that file pushed into processing right away, the processor that looks at that file and says, oh my gosh, you know, this, this one took me 20 minutes to get together. And even though it was complicated, I had all the information that I needed, all the documentation to get it ready for underwriting and pop it right in and, and, you know, down the line underwriting saying, thank you to the processor. Wow. Amazing file. Great job. Um, but, but, but sending out those important accolades and really recognizing a job well done. And, you know, especially in this time where everybody's just churning and burning them, you know, pumping them out and, and trying their hardest. It's, it's, it's so helpful to stop and recognize the hard work of your teammates so maybe give you a quick little tip. And this is one of those things, if you guys are listening in from a call center or from a mortgage company, some companies have what they call shout outs or pride tributes or things where they have this organized way through human resources where they can actually submit someone's name for doing a job well done. Those are great things. But what you just said, Amy, was actually key. It's literally stepping away from the protocol way of doing things and literally going out of your way and doing it on your own that becomes more genuine because what happens is you're human. What we find is people saying, Hey, can you send me a pride tribute if I do this for you? <laughs> so we tend to find ways of making it something uh, for us. We start, we start doing things for that. But when you actually do authentically appreciate someone's efforts by saying, Hey, you know, I just want to thank you so much for doing that. I know that was a lot. That means more than those uh, organized human resources derived, um, recognition programs. And I know they're good. They're there. They should be there. But it's what you said. Don't rely on them. Don't just use them. You have to mix it up. Nothing is straight line. There's nothing's just linear, just the way it is. It's always look at human nature. If you step out of the line and I see you did that for me, that means more to me than say, we'll put it this way. My wife and I, if I give her a Valentine's gift, it means absolutely nothing. But if I give her a gift on a day other than Valentine, it means more, right? So mm-hmm. it's that whole concept of doing stuff that means something to the person. So good point. The saying thank you is very important, but step out of line for that. Agreed. <clears throat> so yeah, Ashley's got some good points here. Um, Ashley, yeah, Ashley. She's always told her kids that she helps families come home, which is super sweet. Um, and if anybody knows Ashley, that she is, she is the sweetest <laughs> person. Sweet. But you know, one of the tricks that we did with the company, I did as a tester and their service levels for this group that we did it on actually inc- increased. And I used this at the, at the um, presentation I did with you guys in Nashville, I think we, when we were actually meeting in public, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, I took people and had, if you got a file and you have a file with say a, a, a husband and wife and two kids take a picture off the internet and put that picture on that file, like put a face to that name. Oh yeah. It changes subconscious, changes your behavior mm-hmm. on if the phone rings at four fifty nine, you get off at five, right? It, it makes you feel like you're dealing with a human. And I know it sounds weird, but it 
did work. It literally improved their service levels. They were happier with their job and they felt like they were, like you said, helping people come home. They were, they saw people as people and not just a piece of paper. That was a big deal when you don't see people, especially now with call centers and everything being going digital. It really is a good way to make things happen. And that's why Zoom is one dimensional. It's not going to be three dimensional. It's not 3D. So you lose a lot of that ability to build those neurons that create empathy and feeling towards each other. But that's why it's important to laugh, smile, have small talk, deviate. If you notice I deviate a little bit, tell stories, those kind of things make the inner engagement better. And being a leader now is not about having all the answers. It's about being vulnerable and being genuine and being willing to learn from the people at the lowest level and then show others how you learn from them and just attach that to your already existing knowledge and then create new conversations. And that's what leadership is now. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, I wonder if because people are so busy, if, if leaders now are tending to sort of step away a little bit and in, in just allowing because, I mean, let's face it, being really super involved, it, it, you step in a lot, right? And you take some time off of that processor who's just like, look, I don't have time for this call right now because I've got 16 loans that I've just I actually have to touch today and get them moving. But I think that, um, you know, I, I, when we were talking earlier, I was thinking, like the pipeline calls that, that we would, you know, either you had them, you had to do them and, and you had to get your LO and, and your processor on the line to, you know, weekly to go through the pipeline and some people hate them and some people love them. Management loves mm-hmm. them. <clears throat> you know, some LOs want them and some processors absolutely despise them. Like I don't have time to sit on this pipeline call, but I, I'm just talking out loud a little bit, but wondering if, um, if leadership now is leaning in more to manage the chaos or if they're stepping back a little bit to sort of let things go so that people can work harder. And I don't, I don't, it depends on the company. I see two different things happening here. Some leaders are leaning too far in, giving away too much information, trying to blend in and try to be like everyone else. And it's unnatural and it comes across unauthentic, right? And then some people are very genuine and really trying. Some people are still focused on the metrics. Hey, you know, and no offense to those who do this, but I don't like when people say we've had our record month. I, I don't like that unless you are literally understanding what it did to the people that you're, that you're serving to work for you because sometimes record months are done on broken backs, right? So you want to make sure you don't say that as that's a good thing because subconsciously you just told it's good that I'm breaking, that I'm hurt, that I'm not feeling too good about my job and my life right now. So it, it, I might have money, but I can't, I can't get up from bed unless I have to work. So I think mm-hmm. there's a, if there, that's not feeling it. Right. So, so, I don't see so, the millions. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, there's a danger there. And I even said this in one of their sessions that, you know, I see a lot of leaders that are in their home and I had one guy, I'm not going to say who he was saying, man, I'm shut down here. I'm feeling like, you know, we're all closed in. He's got a mansion. There's a big old Range Rover behind him. He has a gated gate. And I'm like, he's in his house. Most of your people are living in apartments or smaller homes than you right now. So when you say I'm struggling and I'm looking at that, no, I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. Yeah. So, so there has to be a, a balance. And I think there's leaders are, are letting their employees lean in more and share. And some leaders are kind of just kind of on the wayside waiting. So it depends on the person. It, it, it's individualized. I, it, I don't think every leader should lean in. If that's the case, every, that's why every boy band looks the same. We can't all be the same. You have, to, you have to have differences. You have to make sure that your leadership style works for your structure. If your business is all cerebral and you're all spotlight, and let it be. But if you're all Captain Kirk-like, then let it be. But figure out what your your synergy is and then just be that and hire to that. And that would be ideal. Agreed. 
Well, it is 445. Um, <clears throat> going to put a feeler out for any last comments or questions from our attendees. Anything anybody wants to ask Julian? Um, Ashley said amen to that. <laughs> I know. Dahlia, I don't know if you saw that. Dahlia said, preach, Julian. <laughs> or Dahlia. Oh, Delilah. Delilah's Delilah. Delilah. I'm sorry about that, Delilah. Hey, Delilah. I need my eyes checked a little bit here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if anybody has a uh, happy Taco Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's branding right there. That sounds good, right? <laughs> that's 100% branding. Um, Alexandra says, my manager calls for escalation data or files. Is that considered coaching? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> so, and I would say quickly, you know that, you know, that's a call, but it's, that's what, we've called that coaching in our industry, but it's not coaching. Coaching has nothing to do with your business it has to do with the person's feelings and behavior behind the business. That's what coaching is. It's not even about an escalated call. That's why I said last time when we talked, what's going on with you where your, your temperament is not well enough to deal with that right now. What's going on with you that makes it where you wanted to snap at this customer, you know, like a, a nurse, if a nurse is not doing well, their peers would say, Hey, you know, take a break. That's coaching. Anybody can coach you. It's not your manager's it's responsibility. It's for you to trust the people next to you to see things that you don't see. And it's being able to see that. So if you're slacking off, you're not showing up in meetings, one of the big things I say, if they're not showing their face in the Zoom calls you guys are having, and they used to, you need to be reaching out going, hey, what's going on? You know, there might be something going on why they're starting to shut down and separate themselves from the, from the engagement. And I think everyone should, in my opinion, show their face because if they were in the office, they would. They wouldn't walk in with a mask on. So showing your face in a meeting in a Zoom call is just as important as walking into a meeting as a team. So don't just don't give up. Uh, now Ashley's showing her face. But it didn't count for us today. That wasn't specific to you, Ashley, but we like seeing your face anyway. It wasn't, yeah. But I hope that makes sense. We always joke that, um, well, I joke anyway, because we have uh, have team calls every day, but our Wednesday calls are Zoom with, you know, with uh, with our faces, our cameras on. And so I joke that that's my shower day and I have to do my hair. So anything that I need to do on Zoom with video, I schedule for Wednesdays to make sure there that you go. I'm looking the way that so I So now we all know you shower on Wednesdays. <laughs> right. That's the being vulnerable. Of the one-off like today, that's awesome. So yeah, well, thank you guys. But I hope they made sense. It was, what I wanted you guys to see is that it's not a really a coaching call. It's not about coaching. It's about understanding when to coach and what is coaching. How to do it. I can help you guys with that. If you want to know, I can send you some stuff. I have a booklet, but my booklet's designed for development. It is a strategic week-long teaching, role plays, all these kind of things in line in psychology of communication, reading body language, the NLP, all you, all that stuff in between. So can't give you that because that will that's 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 something I use for people that pay for it. But if you guys want learn more, just let me know and we'll work it out with Amy with TMs, the mortgage collaborative can go from there and we'll figure that out. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and um, to let everybody that's on the call know, um, Julian's next session with myself will be on September 23rd at 4 p.m. And this one's going to be on workplace depression and morale. So um, it'll be a little bit more pointed um, and targeted for that session, something that Julian is it's going to teach you a lot about PTSD, learn how to read PTSD and what to do and what not to do. And I'm not a psychologist, but I'll, you'll know when you need to direct people and then what you can do to curve that. And it can't change people, but what you can do, to, what doorways yeah. you can open. Doors. And I'd be curious to know what people say, because I, I honestly, I look back at my psychological <laughs> um, state in March 
versus what it is now. And I mean, I feel like I could probably have a little bit of PTSD for like what was going on at that time, like how mm-hmm. scared and how freaked out I was. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, we've, we've leaned into what's happening now and we all wear our masks and, you know, it, everything has become normal ish mm-hmm. to yeah. us. Right. But, but when I think back to the, the way it was, I mean, I was really, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. Uh, a lot of people are still there, but um a total different person than I am today. It might yeah. be the Zoloft too, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm now medicated, but so HR, HR. people that are now medicated too. Yeah, you know, TMI, but yeah, TMI, I bet but there's other people that are in uh, in the audience that would, that would yeah, say but, that. You know, I love that if you guys can join and if you have leaders or if you're a manager, that would be a really important one. I, I hope we have I hope a lot of people join that because it's something we're not talking about in our industry, in our country. We, we, we actually oh, made yeah. it our identity to be depressed. And that's the, that's the important thing I want to take what you guys remember. We've made it an identity to be sad and to be depressed. It's almost like a badge of honor to say, I struggle with, there is a huge danger in that. And so I want to talk to you about why people are, I would say navigating life in that realm and what that's doing to your, employee to yourself yeah. to your brand everything in between so yeah we'll talk we about talk it. about it the better the more other people will feel comfortable talking about it so i yeah. i mean i know i threw that out there on this call but it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of i mean if yeah, it helps nothing, you nothing at all. Nothing get through at all. the day and 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 you know that you're not alone then you know hey i'm here to talk anytime <laughs> <laughs> we can all talk about it so, good. I look forward to that. so thank you so Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Julian. Always, always, always a pleasure talking to you and some great information. And thanks to the attendees for hanging out with us this afternoon. Um, Hopefully we will see all of you on the 23rd, 4 p.m. for Julian's next installment um, on this TMC Connect series. And with that said, I will um, let everybody go and we'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining. Appreciate you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.